โมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังขังนมัสสะเราไม่ได้คิดว่าเราจะมีความสุขมากเท่าไหร่เราไม่ได้คิดว่าเราจะมีความสุขมากเท่าไหร่เราไม่ได้คิดว่าเราจะมีความสุขมากเท่าไห
it seems very, very likely that we, they're working very hard to make sure we don't. Um, so, well, this is what we've got. We've got this much, and we've got number five. And now we can work on number five. They've put in their sewerage, they've made it very clear they're not going to cooperate with us, so now we put in our sewerage. And so the trustees have cleared a budget of money that had already been given, so right, we'll do that, we'll do the sewerage this year. We'll upgrade the sewerage, we'll put in a new toilet, and, and, uh, and we'll start moving on thinking about number five. You know, now we know what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. We can set about doing it. We need more accommodation. We can't have retreats here because there's no accommodation. We've got that lovely old barn down the hill there. And uh, we can work on it. We can develop it. We, can, we know what we have. We know what we need. And now we just work towards doing it. And that... That's a tentative decision because still the situation here is not absolutely certain. So we, we haven't um, committed ourselves to, to, to starting work on, on that building, but that's the general direction. And, uh, and there is a sense of relief about that, to, to have some um, freedom from the pain of always having to make choices and to imagine what the future might be. And I think there's a real lesson in that for us to, to come back to remembering how good it is when we are contented with this, when we're contented with what is. When there's lots of choice, lots of options, we're always thinking about, well, what if this... And actually, what is, is not on the screen. You know, we're not reading what is. We're not here with what is. And... and isn't it the case that, that that often takes us into a discontent? This kind of sort of uh, a sort of simmering discontent with what is, uh, and, and and a kind of a irritating longing for it to be otherwise, and a lack of clarity, and and by comparison, now in this situation, to find well, there's greater clarity and more contentment and. A kind of a relief. And now the future is uncertain, and you know, who knows what's going to happen. But it's okay. It's always, always was uncertain anyway. Nothing changed on that front. So that's a helpful lesson I found to, to see the freedom from choice, the freedom from imagining if it was otherwise, and to remember that lesson. Now, of course, one always hears this lesson. I mean, in my years of training with Gompo uh, Cha. And he was always, you know, pointing this out to us. And, and at least speaking for myself, I guess I was a pretty slow learner because the message never really seemed to get through. In fact, I used to just get irritated when he talked about these things. There was one occasion I remember when um, somebody showed Lumpur this um, a tra- a translation, a Thai translation of the Hui Ning Sutta. You know, the uh, sixth patriarch, is it? The wonderful teachings of the Hui Ning Sutta, beautiful, lucid presentation of the ultimate teachings. And this has got to be, you know, pristine Dhamma. And surely Lumpur is really going to get excited about this. And he read it, and, um, and he was actually duly impressed with it. He says, oh yeah, this is it. But if you want to know this, just carry on sweeping leaves and do your chores and keep the toilets clean. And I thought, oh... What do you have to say that for? You know, why can't he get, you know, and we can carry on in this romantic realm of, you know, 
what it could be like if we were all enlightened, you know, going around saying it's all empty and, you know, nothing really matters. <laughs> what if you talk about cleaning the toilets and sweeping the leaves? It's too, too hot to sweep the leaves. And I hate cleaning toilets. And actually, I, I thought when he said things like that, I thought he was being kind of patronizing. And in fact, it's only recently, very recently, <laughs> that I, I can reflect on what he said as an expression of, of, of real wisdom. And he, he didn't have a strategy of trying to teach us and trying to correct our wrong views. He wasn't, you know, he was just saying it like it is. Saying, this is it. If you want to know this, this is it. Be present for sweeping the leaves. Be present for cleaning the toilets. This is your life. You don't have another life. You don't live in China with Wei Ning. You know, I mean, this is pages. This is words. This is abstract reality. This is, this is fantasy. It may be a beautiful representation, a beautiful fantasy, representing a beautiful reality. But this is not your reality. This is your reality. The leaves need to be swept. The toilets need to be cleaned. And, yeah, as I was saying, I used to think that he was being kind of patronizing and say things, thinking, oh, probably all these Western monks, you know, they're all caught up in these idealized notions of practice, and so I've got to say something really heavy, like, you know, go and clean the toilets and sweep the leaves. And, and, and it made me feel disappointed. And thought, well, why does he have to play that game with us? Why can't he just, you know, say it like it is? Well, only recently have I come around to the dawning appreciation that he was saying it like it is. And... Uh, and to come back to acknowledging how it is and considering each of us in our case what is it that causes us to lose touch with how it is and what is it that brings it back in touch with how it is it's helpful I feel to uh, ponder on the consequences of um, the development of, of technology and affluence and the, in, the intense impact this has on our consciousness. Quite understandably, human beings use our brains to develop technology and We've used the technology to make ourselves comfortable. We have underfloor heating in here. So when it's cold in the winter, you know, the electronic system that Tanri Pasi has brilliantly revised and made it even more user-friendly and more safe and more guaranteed, automatically will switch on at four o'clock in the morning. And so when we come in here for meditation, the hall will be nice and warm and all the crackling of the boards will have settled down and we'll just enjoy being comfortable. As a, we've understandable use of our brains and technology to be comfortable but look at how we've we've used this in all aspects of our life we tend to I feel jump to the conclusion that that the more comfort we have the more happy we are so we use our technology to make ourselves as comfortable as possible thinking it's going to make us as happy as possible and one of the things that really makes us happy is to never be disappointed. And I really don't like being disappointed. After 47 years in this human life, and 24 of them as a Buddhist monk, I still haven't got around to liking being disappointed. I never like being disappointed. And um, 
there's something within my mind that will do anything to dis- avoid disappointment. Certainly an uninspected approach to life will use anything, anything we can get our hands on to avoid being disappointed. But does it stop us from being disappointed? No, it doesn't, we're still disappointed. And so actually that's a very uninformed or questionable use of our intelligence and technology and affluence to avoid disappointment. That is, to increase the options. We avoid disappointment by having all the options. We can have choice. I think if there's one word that would say what is fashionable in our world, what is fashionable is choice. And the fashion is, is increasing. It's been, it's been fashionable for quite a while to have choice. It wasn't, I don't think, fashionable during the Depression years. It was a sign of, of um, some sort of disgusting opulence if you had choice. Yeah, everybody was in the same with the boat together, basically. And you didn't have choice in those days. But it's been since the 50s, increasing through the 60s, the 70s, 80s and 90s now, it's a really, it's a religion to, to uh, be able to exercise choice in all the areas of our life. And we need, to, we need to look at the consequences of that and say, does it really serve contentment to, for us to have so much choice? What is the consequence of having so much choice? What does it do to us to have so much choice? In the area of food. You know, I've just come back from a retreat up in Jody's Cottage in Glen Lyon and um, as a, a young student staying with me, cooking the food every day, and there was no choice. Well, very little choice. Occasionally, it was whether it was poached eggs or omelette, and, um, which was actually quite exciting to have such a choice. We never have that here. Uh, but it was a very modicum of choice, a very small amount of choice. And living in the valley and spending most of the days just sitting on the rocks under the trees and, and really settling back into this is it, and feeling real joy of contentment. And then on the way back down, we... Um, I had injured myself, I had a bad fall and um, it fell over and I needed to, we needed to get some plasters and there was no chemist open so the place to go was the, uh, what's it called, Shop and Save or something, a big supermarket and, uh, on the outskirts of Edinburgh. And so we went into the supermarket together and it is unbelievable. I mean, the choice is actually, if you really try and register it, it's very difficult, I think. I think only computers can register mechanical things. I think human beings can't really register the choice that is there because it's insane. There is no, there is no explanation, a no reasonable explanation for why there should be so much choice in food and clothing. You, know, you walk down any, any, any high street and so what is it, BHS? Is that right? BHS and, and Marks and Spencers and... You know, you got the next gap, where these places that, you know, I mean, they all just sell the same stuff, really, just slight different sort of shape, <laughs> very slight, basically all the same colours, you know, determined by somebody at the beginning of the season. But the choice is extraordinary. And, and, and also, um, the way we live, the shelter, the, the uh, what is it called? Home, home world or something, these places that... Um, home decorating design and the choice that one can have is that we have the Ikea catalogue for uh, sofas and the unbelievable the, the uh, affluence is extraordinary and the, the basic, these basic areas of life food, clothing, shelter and medicine 
we now have such a, I think, an unexcelled, collectively, every, most, not every country, but most developing countries now have this extraordinary choice for a certain segment of the society. <coughs> if you, if you, get, uh, you, you get diagnosed with cancer or some other disease, it's not just a matter of fears the medicine. Well, you've got a choice. Are you going to research it or not? First choice. You're going to accept this professional medical person and take their advice, or you're going to research it. And if you start to research it, well, there, there it comes. You've got allopathic, homeopathic, naturopathic, Chinese, and then you've got all the, the different varieties. And you can you can research it in the library, or you can research it on the net. You can, you know, and, and the choice is absolutely extraordinary. Now, what does this do to us? And we have so much choice. Well, it does many things to us, but one thing that that's standing out in my mind at the moment is this, uh, I'd call it a disorder. It's like a disorder. The what-if disorder gets kind of implanted in the mind. You know, there's a, a terrible disease that people are talking about these days. It's called mad cow disease. You know? It's mad cow disease. You eat if you eat hamburgers or something. And... Uh, but I think this 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 what if disorder is worse. There is no contentment because the mind is always thinking, what if we had more space? What if we had more money? All sorts of things. Yeah. What if we had nuns? Now, I'm not saying that that the capacity of our minds to creatively imagine and investigate other possibilities that serve our path of realization of true well-being should be overridden. Not at all. You know, and that's, uh, that's what makes us human, that, uh, that capacity of mind. And, uh, and, and that we've all experienced ourselves and... Uh, uh, the benefits of, of, of engaging a creative attitude to life and, and the richness and the uh, constructiveness that comes with that for our own uh, well-being and for others. But when that tendency to imagine how things could be otherwise becomes compulsive, and it does become compulsive because of choice, mm. when that tendency of mind to imagine if things were otherwise, takes us over, if we're driven by it, then it's a disorder, I think. I think it's a disorder. Yeah. And it actually, this is one of the causes of continual discontent, the agitation. We can't, can't sit still. and we can't, We've always got to be doing something or thinking about something. And, and, and those, those of us, I think most, most of us, have spent time going on retreat and it takes the first few days of going on retreat for the, you know, stop doing all these things and exercising choice all over the place. After three days, you sort of settle into a sort of contentment. So, well, you know, this is it. Got another seven days of this. And we're not thinking, what if the food was different? Or what if I met and somebody had an interesting relationship? Or, or We're not thinking that because it's actually irritating to think like that when you're on retreat. You know, we're, we're here with this. And so if we really make an effort to be conscious of that and, and, and notice that in our minds, then we can inhibit that mental 
activity, and this is the cure for the disorder. By understanding, by understanding the nature of the disorder, then when it starts to take over, we inhibit it. We're not thinking about what if this could happen, because we realize that every time we get lost in that thought, not engage it creatively as, a, as an expression of our commitment to the way, but when we get caught up in that thought, we realize we're actually we're avoiding this. We're avoiding, what is this? This is our life. This is it. Yeah. And so the, the consequences of this news that we've received from the neighbors, there are consequences. Our life will be different now. But this is it. This is our life. Yeah. Now, to engage our life with interest and use using the mind carefully and sensitively to look at how we accord with what we've got. That's intelligence. But when the what-if disorder takes over, then real creativity disappears, real discernment disappears, and we're being driven by our discomfort and our dissatisfaction. So even in terms of, of finding finding contentment, if the what-if disorder is driving us instead of real presence and real mindfulness, if this disorder is motivating our practice, then you feel confused. What if I did this and did that and then I wouldn't feel confused? And so we engage in something, we do something so as to... When my mind's confused, I just sit there. There's nothing wrong with having a confused mind. It's been confused many times before. Still here. In fact, I find it quite interesting to have a confused mind. When my mind's confused, I just sit there and I don't take a position against it. And after a while, things settle and it doesn't seem so confused anymore. However, if I, my mind is confused and I, I don't like this, and then I engage the habit of, what if... stop it. Use will to resist that impulse and say, that's wrong. I shouldn't be having an impulse. I shouldn't be confused. Focus. I'm not convinced that that's actually the way to take us to real sustainable contentment. The way to sustainable contentment is to be able to meet ourselves in a place that is already contented. If we push our discontentment to the side, which you can do with willfulness, really be very determined to hold on to something and, and refuse to let this feeling of discontentment take you over. If we push it aside, then when we stop actually applying will, what happens? It comes back in again. However, if we find ourselves feeling discontented and we just sit there and notice it. This is feeling discontentment. And we don't let that what-if thought come in. We're not saying it's wrong. We're just saying, I know where that what-if thought comes from. That what-if thought is a symptom, it's a disorder of the mind that's come about as a result of exercising too much choice. This is a bad habit. And if we do it, well then we discover a new way of, of finding contentment. And in my experience is it's a sustainable form of contentment. So who knows what's going to happen here on the hill. Um, 
part of me wants to say I'm sorry to break the news to you um, but another part of me says well I, I'm sure you know what to do with it thank you very much for your attention <laughs>